Welcome to the Artist Exchange Radio Show with me, your host, Nate, as I turn the volume down on my phone. Um, I'm here today. We have a special guest. Um, as we're moving into the gift, traditional gift-giving season, I wanted to go over a little bit of uh, clean house a little bit. Uh, for our customers, for our artists, for our entrepreneurs, there's a lot of things that have been going on the past year. And I've given, personally, I've given a lot of allowance to things because we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, and business had to, you know, find a way and figure out things. But as things are beginning to kind of, you know, balance itself out somewhat, um, it's just a lot of things that I think need to be done. Um, myself and a group of uh, other business owners are starting to have conversations about, you know, productivity and how customer services and how, even the business side of customer services um, and how we can figure this out so we all can win. I don't want to do that thing of one got to go or, uh, you know, the click system. All that stuff needs to find its way somewhere else because uh, what we're doing right now in the Black arts community, especially in cities like Baltimore, people want this too much. There's a, um, a, a CBS uh, documentary on the, the great migration from <laughs> traditional nine to five work to people finding their true passion and skills. Uh, if you go on uh, the Artist Exchange page, you'll find it there. And there's a little 11 minute clip and it tells us a lot about where, where people's mindsets are. And the, the fact that you found your passion or discovered a passion throughout this pandemic does not give you leeway to do business poorly. It also doesn't give the consumer rights to uh, just disregard people's value. And I'm one of those people, I think um, I did share this on one of your posts, uh, Marnie. Uh, people see your value. They just hope that you don't see yours. They hope you don't see it. Uh, and that's a big part of the conversation that we'll have today. If we can bring on our guest, um, the artist, the photographer, the the uh, uh, homeware creator, uh, just all around stylist, artist. This every uh, this man does everything. I thought I was the person that worked hard, but clearly he is working hard. So we're going to introduce him and bring him on. How you doing, sir? You have to unmute yourself first. Unmute. Yeah, there we go. What's up? How you doing today, sir? Can you introduce yourself to these fine people? I'm pretty fair for a square. I am Devlin E. Waddell. So I imagine that an introduction should come along with a little bit about what I do. But at this point, I'm doing all the things, right? And we're going to get to all those things. But all right, so I'll just call myself a curator. A curator. That's, I, and you know what? I like that term now because it encompasses so much and it says so much. It is not just hang, finding artists and hanging their work. It just is event management now. It's event management. All these things 
that goes along with being an artist. You manage art and you create art. Curation. Right. Um, right. And, and, and ultimately, it, it is all about storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. I got started in this world writing and publishing and shit like that. Um, and have since moved on to all sorts of other coolness. But ultimately, everything that I put into the world is either about sharing my story or helping someone else to engage in their narrative. Um, mm. So, fuck it, I'm a storyteller. That, that's what we're going to do. And that's that's the difference between um I, I was reading another article about this about TikTok and how a lot of the white influences on there are stealing material and and for black people we are the story so we right. really we haven't done a good job of telling our story because our story comes from experience from everyday life and we don't have to be concept conceptual like other cultures have to be and think of these grand ideas. Because it's coming from within us. So I, yeah, I and, and I think I think part of the challenge with storytelling with, with us anyway is that one, like our greatness comes often from these places of trauma. And with trauma you deal with shame. And mm. people got it fucked up. Right? right. So mm -hmm. they don't tell their story because they're ashamed. And what they don't realize is that that point of shame is where the is sitting mm. right. So you think about why all these mutant shows and how like they start hulking up and start glowing, and that's when they start getting super strong and shit. But if you think about how you feel when you're ashamed, it's that same pit in your stomach as, mm. as they show when they're hulking up. So let's think about this anxiety and this fear as what it actually is. It's the fucking Hulk. So like, what if it don't feel good, that means I got to do it. So a question that I have, uh, that I've been kind of asking myself really throughout this year, can we be as, can we be great? Can we be artists without our struggle? And that's often without our story, but the story is there, but the struggle that we've had with our experience, can we be great artists without that? So, so here's the deal, like, at base, my mother, I knew to stay away from the house when I heard Luther playing because my mother would be in the house cleaning up and rearranging furniture and shit or spray painting the dining room chairs and changing the seat covers. My grandmother would take the worn out jeans and make skirts from them. My uncle would try to make me wear a shirt and tie at Thanksgiving dinner when I'm really only just coming upstairs. So everything that I do is mm -hmm. connected to who I am as a person. Right. Um, I think that it happens to be great because the Negro has a chip on his shoulder because mm -hmm. he moved through his world as a poor black boy from Baltimore, mad at these folk looking at him who, one, don't expect him to do much or the folk who look at him and expected him to do Because I was also that kid who was supposed to go to college and come back and teach or become an attorney or some job that would have me in a suit and kill me <laughs> while I might in the suit and fucking kill him because that's what I do. That's right. not every day for me. 
Um, and and it, and I still at forty five freaking years old struggle with the idea that I might be disappointing my cousin who who passed away a few years back. Um, like I had a whole moment, like just 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 at work, just fucked up because I realized my stylish uncle <laughs> and um, my cousin who was more like an aunt. You know how it goes, like, but. They would be so freaking proud of me right now. Like they would mm-hmm. be so freaking proud of me, even though I didn't follow their expectations, right? Like mm-hmm. they, I'm sure, would recognize the work that I'm doing um, to create these spaces for folk to enjoy the community in ways that I did with my family. That's what it boils down to. Like my youngest daughter will likes to make me cry by bringing up how she misses dancing with my uncle Jimmy. Like trash. We'll be coming home from school and she'll just bring it up. Ran, yeah, I had an assignment in music class, and I talked about uh, one of my favorite songs being whatever. Uh, maybe tears, tears from heaven or smile by Kurt Franklin song. Oh yeah, wow! She yeah. was like, "Yeah, Jim, Jimmy used to dance to that all the time." I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna hate you." And now I'm in the cup because I miss and thinking about how we don't. I don't feel like intentionally carry on those things from our ancestors and ancestors that need mm-hmm. to live. like style. We're choosing to sit it aside. We, we don't want that to be a part of it. I think the big part of that was taking away the fact that we call ourselves Black artists because we wanted to just be artists right. uh, and fit in, that idea of fitting in. And I think their expectation was you for you is often what other people have expectations of, the things that they wanted for themselves first. Right. So that then gets passed on to you when they feel like they passed that right. threshold of, of possibility. That's why I love to see you know, so many of our elders in this Baltimore community be given grants and fellowships. And you see these women and men in their 60s, 70s, just getting their name out there, you know, or just being able to showcase what they've been doing this whole time. I don't want to wait that long. I'm I'm glad to see people are being that patient and waiting. But, you know, expectations can be horrible because we take them personally. And we make them our, and that's not my, you know, goal. But I'm sure they will be proud of you for the work that you put in. But that that idea of, you know, separating ourselves from our history, from our struggle, understanding that I have to heal myself. I can't go through life broken, but I can't separate myself from my story either in pursuit of great greatness or grandeur or you know, uh, commercial success. That's the part that I I had to struggle out of. Yeah. Because I was counting, I was measuring my greatness by what other people determined I could do. Right. And I kept falling short. Like, oh, I feel like I'm bigger than that. Right. I was measuring myself off off of somebody else's measuring stick and not my own. And, like, the funny thing to me is, like, after I do something, it could be the dopest thing in the world to everybody else, but because mm-hmm. I did it, I'm like, oh, oh well, what's next? 
Mm. It must not allowing be yourself too hard. to enjoy it. Say what? Allowing yourself to enjoy it. Right. I I, I ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, is that, uh, is that a struggle uh, still for you? Say what? Is that still a struggle for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I uh, I have been describing myself as an underachieving perfectionist pretty much since I, I wrote. And, mm-hmm. and like my first book was me sort of working my way out of underachieving perfectionism. And I'll explain what that is. Mm-hmm. Like we know what perfectionism is. Like you want to do shit perfectly. Well, right. an underachieving perfectionist will pick the things that he's confident that he will excel at and do those things and be impressive with shit all the time. So that's mm-hmm. how I lived the first half being hella impressive at the what I considered workaday shit. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, like once I started writing and more importantly sharing my work. Um, that's when I started moving out of it and really testing the waters of, of I guess, my capacity. How much can I produce? Like, what, what can I really put into this world as a creator? Um, and, and be willing to share. Because more shit, I think you probably know this too, more shit will not see the light of day than will. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But my wife asked me about this making something something and i was like i'm like i've tried it so many times like you could not imagine but it was yeah it's okay because if you do it right every time you ain't trying hard enough the things that you're hiding or well hiding can't say anything else different is it what does those things do for you because you're still doing it you're still creating it but why not give birth to it? Because that particular thing might not be up to my standard. So, like, pretty much everything I do is experiment. I'm just trying to figure it out. And often, experiments go left. Mm-hmm. And when those experiments go left, either you hide it until you can revisit it, or you trash it. Um, but I, but I say I ask you that because it goes back to what I just said. That measuring stick that doesn't belong to us that we're, you know, taking personal. Is it? Is it? Does it feel like that, or do you really not think that those things measure up to the quality of the work that you want to put out? So there's there's there absolutely things that um, I feel some type of way about, but put out anyway because I know it's just a me thing. Mm-hmm. But there are also experiments that fail. <laughs> and there's no other way to say it. A good example, though, um, of of why failing is important is like one of the first pieces of upholstery I attempted. I did this shit like five different times in the original shop, like five different times. And it wasn't until mm-hmm. the fifth time that somebody was I want that pretty much immediately after it posted. So they got the chair, went through a nasty breakup, called me for another chair, and um, I ended up doing their whole condo. Mm. And we called it curating catharsis because this person is a writer. And I created a sofa that 
was a combination of mud cloth, but also white fabric so they could write out the catharsis on mm. the sofa and live with it. Um, wow. So that experiment four other times became successful and allowed me to engage in other successful experiments. So like when I say I fail at shit, it's, it's not like a, a thing that's coming from a place of shame. It's just a reality of production. Because like I said, if you, if, if, you, if you like everything you do, you're not trying hard enough. Mm. I, don't, I don't believe you're pushing yourself yeah. hard enough. You're not uncomfortable enough, in my estimation. I'm if just learning like, how to still, and this is a recent lesson, still put it out there. Because I I was always afraid of failing, mm. but the failure would keep me from even attempting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I yeah. was like, I can't live like that. I, you know, I, I know too many people like that, you know, yeah. and I can't, I can't stop for for fear of failure. Absolutely. But again, yeah. you don't want to keep putting stuff out there because some people, but they think that that's your that's right. Your, I think with the the different mediums, I'm I sort of know for me what's good and what's not good, right? So like if I decide to write, I um decided I'm working on a new book. I have one book that needs to be published, but the next book is called Nigga Lights, Nigga Knocking, and all the other nigga shit of my youth. So <laughs> So I, I, I laugh because it's just I, I like the boldness of it and I just like the space that we are in right now or we're moving towards for many of us just to just put it out there as it is there's no the pretty picture is what it is and right. not trying right. to create somebody else's standard of right. beauty but that, that shit just made me I would buy that simply because of the title Yo, you from Cherry Hill, I know you nigga knocked at least one time. At least one. And I know you believe that the lights only came on when black people walked past. Yeah. You know, the motion detector lights? Mm-hmm. That was the general belief. Oh, they only come on for black people. We didn't think about the fact that it was only black people in our fucking neighborhood. <laughs> it's ignorant. I mean, it's ignorance, but it's based, it's steeped in a level of truth that I don't think people are willing to admit to. Right. I think it's beautiful. I think it's hilarious. And it makes so much sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the only time you see the lights come on is when your little black ass you make these assumptions based on the way the world is around you, right? So, yeah. But, but my point is, like, I can tell pretty much within one or two paragraphs if something's finished that I'm writing or not. Um, mm. because I'm so practiced at it. And I don't care how practiced at it you are, you're still because that's just what, what it is. Like we baseball players go to the whole right? Mm. So they fail 70% of the time. They still go into the fucking Hall of Fame in their career. That's so so when I say that things told me, she was like, what do you call I was stressed at my uh, SAT score, my practice SAT score. And she said, well, what do you call a doctor that's last, that finishes last in his class? 
a millionaire. And I was like, I don't want, I don't, a failure? I don't know. What do you call him? She's like, you still call him a fucking doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, it took so much stress off me that I wound up going yeah. well. But it was just that idea that we, we are taught that we have to be a thousand times better than right. any other culture. This is something, especially our mothers pour into us, our parents pour into us. You got to be so much better. And I remember going from uh, like a little charter school in elementary to private schools and feeling like I had to work so much harder. And I realized how dumb these fucking white people were. I was like, I don't even got to try that hard. But it was already ingrained in me. You got to work 10 times harder, a thousand times harder to be considered better than them. And I didn't really get that until I was an adult and I was a practicing full-time artist. And well, I started seeing the bullshit that they were putting out and they just were so conceptual, this idea I work so hard and I just do something natural and they not consider my work good because I didn't right. put the thought into it that they assumed they put into theirs. Right, and and there's, there's a difference between thinking about some shit and intellectualizing some shit. And yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and say these micro motherfuckers will intellectualize some shit and then step in some finger paint and step on a canvas and call it art. Fuck mm. off. Like, fuck, I just because you wrote 37 paragraphs about this fucking finger paint of your left mm -hmm. toe does not make it art. Fuck off. One. And B, I think the problem with wow. being <laughs> said this, you got to work 10 times harder thing is, don't nobody know what you should be working hard at. A friend of mine got this opportunity to go to, um, I'm not going to say, well, I'm going to say this, but fuck them. He got an opportunity to go to Micah. And he said he was sitting in his class, his senior class, with all of these uh, students. And they would all have to do these projects to kind of, for their senior practicum. And I, uh, he said, this one young lady, she started taking all these pictures of random pieces of hair around the, the city. She said she just took a camera and saw it, and she created this elaborate story that was great, a great fictional or possibility of why this hair was there, the story behind the person it belonged to. And he showed me the he showed me the picture first before he even gave me all that backstory. And he was like, what happened here? And I was like, either somebody got into a fight or somebody was being ghetto and was taking their hair out on a bus stop. And he was like, that was so fucking simple. He said, and then he went on to tell me the story of what she gave. And I was like, that's, it's, it's only those two things. Like nothing else. Right. That hair couldn't have got there no other way. Right. It was a fight or she was being ghetto and took her hair out. Right. And then there was a fight. Like it's, it's no other <laughs> possible. And I, and I, I fell victim to that thinking I had to be so conceptual and be so, you know, analytical with my creativity. And at the end of the day, it was a fucking fight or she was being ghetto. And I was like, I be killing myself trying to think like they think. And then they just making shit up as they go along. Yo, so there's one pisses people off with me every time, especially like in this art world bullshit. Mm -hmm. You wanna know what that word is? I don't fucking know, because that's what I tell them when they try to get me to be all extra about something I made. So what does this mean? 
What does that mean? That's, that's what the fuck I felt like doing. Like I don't, yeah. I don't understand. That was the color they had the store on sale. That was why I used it. Say what now? I was like, that's. I, it was just the color they had on sale at the art store. That's, that's listen. Real. Listen, I'm the king of making shit. Like, mm. you know why I started putting fabric on shoes? Because mm. I had fabric and shoes. <laughs> that, that was no fucking dude. Yeah. And you just saw the end result. And it's, it doesn't, I think for us as Black people, people of color, <clears throat> it doesn't take away from our creativity or the value of our work because it just naturally came to us. I used to right. beat myself up over the head. I used to, I make earrings and I would beat myself up calling my earrings something. Like all of it had a different name. And like maybe like eight years ago, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this person is not going to remember the name that you gave to this earrings unless it was their own name, whatever. Right. But I was like, I'm not going to keep, I was naming my earrings after friends that I had, like Mama Jackie. You know, Mama could be like I was just naming them after mamas and or people I had, Professor Quartz from Coffin or Mama Meekins from Marina. And I was like, people don't care about that. And you're right. trying to be like somebody else by doing these things, and it's it's naturally coming from you. You didn't have to think about it. That person had to sit and watch you do it in right. order to get a concept on how they can do something. Right. You didn't have to do that. Right. So can you tell us all, I know you do photography, you're author, you're a stylist, like what all do you do as this curator, this black curator of art? Um, so let's talk about it uh, chronologically from now to back, because okay. I'm in the middle of, tomorrow is the soft launch of Baltimore Mercantile, which is uh, the combining of a few different local brands um, into mm -hmm. one retail space, i.e. Uh, KYV Mercantile, Tight Fisted Fashion, yeah. Tracy Zadig, Magic Octopus, Octopus, uh, this earring making dude, theoretically. We'll see how that goes. Um, so retail spaces. Mm -hmm. And retail is like where I actually have legitimate experience. Like, that's the only thing that is resumeable of the shit mm -hmm. I do. Like, when I do shit, um, I am a wedding officiant or minister, depending on how I feel. Um, I married the shit out of my brother's bride a couple weekends ago, um, and I enjoyed it so much that I think I'm gonna lean into that more. The only reason, see, see there, hey Julie. Could you put those on the? Just let it fall forward. Could you see those this man is a busy man and just creating is what he does. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, like, this is real life. It's real life. It's not a. It's not a fake reality show. It's a real one. So the <laughs> only reason I've not opened the church is because I'm afraid, and I'm not willing to risk it. Otherwise, say that again. I think your sound went out. Say the reason you haven't done it again because hell might be real. Oh, oh, oh. and I ain't fucking around, right? Like, I play a lot of games, I tell you a lot of shit, but I ain't fit to open the truth. But that's small possibility, small possibility. 
I don't believe it's real, but I don't mm. know. And people mm. be like, Devlin, you know. And I'm like, fuck that, you ain't never been. No, so, I mean, I, I would love a space where, you know, you can really mix your creativity with spirituality. I've tried to yeah. do that in my church, and it just, I just get used. And for entertainment well, I, purposes. I've named the church already. It's called Hand Over Fist Ministries. Mm. Uh, Mm. So, uh, officiant, uh, uh, I cover things in primarily African history, but also art stuff. So, like mirrors, shoes, journals. Um, We've gotten lampshades. We've gotten into some textile play. My business partner, Kimba, knows how to use the sewing machine. So, that fucking changed the game. I don't have to stitch shit with these all three hands no more. So we doing all kinds of stuff. Um, so it's efficient, retail, maker. I draw and I paint. I don't really sell that stuff. That's personal. It's been a thing from my childhood. But I think I might try to take it seriously, get some stuff out there. No, I'm lying. I had a friend who had this chick who was really, really into him. So she gave me about six hundred dollars to make some art and install it in her house. <laughs> I didn't knock on her door; she knocked on mine. So like, I don't feel bad about it. That was funny as shit. That was before I started anything creative, though. Um, hmm. What else do I do? Um, styling, styling, some vintage clothing. That's how I was first introduced to you as a stylist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the light of my life, Miss Tracy Jiggins. <laughs> I love it. Um, co-founded Dumo Baltimore, though I'm not a poet, I am happy and proud to talk about the fact that I co-founded the organization that is still producing world champion youth and adult poets. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. I am a writer still, I guess. I have published a few, few books and a few books of others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's what I miss. I miss Was the re- did the retail help you with the business side of being an artist, or was that just another part of it? I think I. My people skills one in retail, you learn a lot about running a business, like fucking business management 101. If you are with good companies and management positions, right? So you do just learn a lot of professional stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like goals, how to go your business and, and sales and all that stuff. I realized, well, not only that I was a people person, but that I actually knew how to flirt when I started working at Wayne Bryant at 19. So like I really honed my people skills then and really came to understand that my work is mm. ultimately about people. I'm being honest, I hate it. But also regularly enough, there are moments when a random customer will come in and share her entire life story and leave after having wept or whatever. Um, so I recognized that I was supposed to be in that place at that moment for that person. 
Mm, so that's one of the few reasons that I've been able to survive retail so long. Um, that I've recognized that it, it has me move in purpose often. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it's helped me in in, in sort of changes. Um, recognizing how to engage people toward the thing that you want. Right? Because right. even before we decided to open this retail space, um, I would invite folk to what we call the sanctuary, sort of a gallery slash workshop. But inevitably, we sell stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to sell people and shit, but I know how to create an environment where people feel comfortable enough to explore. Um, so, yeah. It, it, uh, I'm finding that <clears throat> that part of engagement, um, and that's kind of why I started the, the radio show, because I am not the best people person. I know how to do it. I know why I need to do it. But the actual application of it, it gets lost in translation. And I'm, I'm realizing that art of engaging a customer is very important. Um, and often you'll get caught up in a conversation and you haven't really even sold anything. And you got to like snap back to it to actually get the sale. But that it, it I've learned that it, it actually um, keeps customers coming back. You know, they'll buy stuff just for the sake of coming to hang out with you for a few moments or you know, um, me coming into this new space, I'm sitting in the middle of my my studio now, and I, you know, getting people here, I forgot, almost forgot that, that I had people that I had established relationships with because I wanted to market to a whole different person, but I forgot to bring those people in because those would be the people, the Tracy Jiggets, the Safis, uh, a, a number of my friends who then became the spokesperson for my jewelry. Right. They, developing those relationships with people, it was tough for me because I saw, I see bullshit when I, when I look at people and I don't want to play the game. But right. I forgot that I still have a power to win people over and to, so, you know, share my story. I think people um, get the game fucked up a bit. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't play it. I don't play it. But, like, I don't play it so hard Right. And people know, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I cuss people out now because they know one is coming from a real place, a sincere place. But mm-hmm. two, they know they probably had it because yeah. that's. Yeah, yeah. Don't come in my space being stupid. I don't give a fuck how deep you are. This could be your first time. But if you're in my space and you being stupid, that's how I'm going to treat you. Why are you mm. fucking stupid? Um, and that's not... Yeah. On some I think I'm spelling everybody else shit, but like we know how to act. We know better. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't come in my space and like don't know better. I'm going to call you the fuck out. Every day. Um, I see that, but I I retreat or I'll get quiet when that person's in my space. And that people took that as I was difficult to 
engage with. But I would see it, and I'm like, I don't want to deal with it. But I'm gonna let you still shop. But I'm just right. not gonna deal with it. And that I think that's not always the best way. I I like your approach. I'm just um, all I know is a thousand. Right. I gotta kind of come up with the the levels between yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah. I know, there's I know to get to a thousand. Right. There's nuance. Right. But also, what I, I realized I earlier before we went on. Um, is that I don't need everybody. Mm. I don't want everybody's money. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that feels better than turning somebody down mm. for their money. Because people want to believe that you live and die on a single transaction. And it's yeah. a great transaction. Yeah. I like to believe that I work hard enough and I am I, I generate strong enough relationships that I don't need everybody to come in. Yeah. Um, people get really weird about wanting to reach every customer and get everybody that you possibly can. Mm -hmm. like, it's and if it's a person that... And I go by this notion, I'm more focused on the five faithful people in my life versus those 5,000 fair weather friends. Exactly. I, and it, it, it took me going into my 30s to get that because I just thought every, I'm a theater artist, so everything is collaborative. So you're trying to bring everybody with you and along for the ride and you realize there are five people that's always in your corner. There are five people whenever you put a post out they're always going to respond to it and so on and so forth. And we get so focused in the commercial world that we got to focus on those 5,000 over there that we don't realize they only following us because it's something trendy at the moment. Right. But before we go any further, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe to Artists Exchange Radio Show every Friday at 5 p.m. Go to our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter, and as well as our uh, YouTube page. Also follow Big Exposed Radio on all social media platforms. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break with the man of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I've always been an open book, and it was time to write the story that God has been preparing me to share. Dear Tombstone is a glimpse into all of the hardest things that I've dealt with and that were sent to kill me, deter me, and delay me from fulfilling my purpose that God has set over my life. is a journey down memory lane for me, but hopefully it encourages you to tell your story. It's now available on Amazon. Can train and certify over 10,000 students in 10 years. We can renovate over 10,000 houses in 10 years. This is the Inner City Trade School Project sponsored by Get With The Program. It's our time and it's our turn. I feel like once we address once we address the needs of the students, we can ensure that they'll be successful in the program. The main idea is to know the safety of the program. And the Black Lives Matter? Yes. yes. We're going to show you how much Black Lives Matter. 
because we have a solution to the problem. This school will help change the mindset of our young black men. And that's what we're trying to do, bring pride back to our community. Substance use, anger management, um, mental health. So here at the inner city trade school, that's what we're uh, trying to build. That's what we're trying to create, an environment for our people to thrive. to the Artist Exchange Radio Show. Uh, I have my special guest today, Mr. Del Devlon. Did I say it right? I said it right. Dev, uh, Devlin. There we go. Uh, here with us today. Today's topic is no more excuses. Um, I've watched a lot happen in the last year, almost two years now, that we've been in the midst of this pandemic. We're going almost into the next year with this. Um, and I've watched a lot of businesses flourish. I've lot, watched a lot of businesses start. Uh, and, and I watch people who were nine to five mentalities turn into these entrepreneurs literally overnight. Uh, we had the time and the space to, and the quiet really to really develop these ideas and decide what we had. People had a little bit more cash to be able to push around this time around. And I've watched people develop these businesses. What I want to see now uh, is people really honing in on how we do business with each other, specifically in our Black communities, because we are so uh, pushed out on the, the idea of, uh, I, I got to get mine. I got to I gotta get mine first. I got to I gotta get my money. I got to be in my bag. I got to make my money. And it's all about I. And, we don't realize when we begin to work together as a team, we really get more things done. <clears throat> we're not competing. We're not copying. We're not stealing ideas. We're not doing any of those things, but we're working together for the betterment of us all. There's no competition when I want to see you win. There's, there's, the competition is gone at that point. You know, and we've been we've been pushed into this space of competing with each other for this small group. Uh, crabs and does 
uh, a friend of mine shared this statement with me, uh, crabs don't belong in a barrel. And we've thrived off of being a crab in that barrel because we're pulling each other down. But guess what? Nobody wins when that happens. You may get a couple more sales, but people see that behavior and not want to be associated with it. And we have to get better at working with each other and not just in our clique. It's great to have teams. I'm, I'm developing one now. We're calling the, the uh, Art Social Network Group. It's myself, uh, myself from Bachelor Blue Jewelry Artists Exchange. It is Tamika Chapman from Style Lounge, uh, Latasha Peaks from Love for Moms, and we have a new member, Miss Crystal uh, Gatlin of, uh, uh, I just forgot it. I am She Podcast. It just jumped out of my head just that quick. But we, we've come together with a commonality of just wanting each other to win and starting from where we are. Uh, there's also a group that I meet with once a uh, month, these four guys, and we get together and just talk about the things that we need, the things that we are lacking. And I was surprised at how, you know, people responded to it. And the fact that these guys and this other group, people needed the same things that I needed. I thought I was in by myself with these things. Being so creative, having these ideas, but not really feeling like I'm moving anywhere. Um, and one of the reasons I have reached out to this gentleman was because I've seen him work in the community. A lot of people that I have on here, I'm watching you work and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the greatness in you and I'm seeing things that I like uh, that you're doing. And I, I often invite people onto the show simply to have a conversation and see where it can go. But I wanted to now bring you back into this um, conversation. When I say the topic, uh, uh, the topic for today, what does that bring to mind for you? Uh, there's no right or wrong answers, but you got to unmute yourself as well. No excuses. When I say the the topic, so no I'm, excuses, what does that mean to you? I'm going to get to that, but I'm going to go back to at least one, maybe two things you said, if I can remember both. But you mm -hmm. mentioned the crabs in the barrel. Um, right. Fucking, like, they about to get steamed as hot. I understand why they're fighting to get out. The question mm -hmm. is... And I understand how they ended up in there. They were captured and put in there. Right. Um, for me, personally, uh, folk could be justified in feeling like they're trapped in their situation. I don't. So I'm not in that barrel that folk are fighting to get out of. Mm -hmm. you know, I have my own set of struggles, but that shit don't have nothing to do with nobody else. Right? Right. Um, and appreciating what freedom and space you do have as a black person in this society is really fucking important. Because there's some things that I can get away with. There's some privileges that I have. Like, not in any way comparable to white privilege and all that fuckery. That fuck tends to miss. But there are certainly some things that I can do mm. because of who I am. I mean, in part, it might be like just like genetics. We're special people to want else. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, like, I don't ever feel like I'm competing with everybody else. I'm in competition with myself. Right. And that dude is a go-getter. Um, but no more excuses. So, when, when I first saw that as the topic, it came maybe a day or two after I was on the plantation, what, what I call my job, the, the, the one that 
Pates. She's the benefactor here. The benefactor. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting in the on the bathroom floor in the dark, weeping inconsolably. Mm. Um, part of it, I think, is sad or seasonal affect disorder. Part of it is just the idea that I've struggled with depression and mental wellness for literally as long as I can remember. Um, and part of it is that I'm doing too fucking much and I need to sit down, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've been wrestling depression for about a month now, but like I was done. I was on the floor in the dark. Mm-hmm. Texting my boss like he was side of the wall on the sales wall. I text him like, yeah, I can't do this. I need to go to fuck home. This is too much. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, but this ain't the business. So I went home. And I curled up in the bed and hid my head. It was two o'clock and I stayed there. That's I mean, medical, so you know that helped out a lot. Um my mood shifted tremendously and like I'm new to the weed thing. Um, so I was surprised at how much it helped with the question. But no excuses piece. The next day I was back in here. Because mm-hmm. this was opening in a week. So I had to get my ass up and get in here to do this thing that I believe is going to get me off the plantation. Right? I was trying to explain to one of uh, the, the contributors today who was helping us get set up how she was like, yeah, we, we, we just talk about depression in general. She was like, yeah, nobody knows what we're going through because we, we have to put on a brave face. And I'm like, yeah, fuck the brave like, I re- People see what they see in me. But I recognize that there are some things that I've committed to that involve other people that I need to get done. Um, And I learned a long time ago that my energy sort of dictates the energy of a room. So if I go into a room feeling like fuck life, that room is going to feel like fuck life. So I need to find a space within me to engage in a way that allows me to lead my portion and and be most effective at that. Um, if it were, were about the plantation, I could call out, right? Maybe I miss a couple hours work, but I could recoup that. But when it's about that thing that I claim that I want to do for the rest of forever, oh, no, 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 no. You need to get your ass up and you need to get to it. Maybe I don't have appointments with customers for a while. Maybe I don't take on no new projects for a while. Maybe you don't introduce me to nobody you about to ask for some money for a while. <laughs> hey, Shania, what's up? Listen, this time of year, folk get real honest. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I don't even think it's this time of year. It used to be ebbs and flows, but now... People don't have a problem with getting on a live saying, hey, I need lunch money today. <laughs> like, damn, you just, you no. don't even know most of these people on there. You don't even talk to them. Cash app in their profile. Like, we, that's what we doing? We just ask them. That's the fuck? I didn't know it worked like that. But um, 
so like that's what no excuses means to me though when there's this thing that you claim that you want how do you move through around beneath over your challenges to get to it because the challenges still exist like i left here and going home to pick up where i left off in the fucking depression you know what I mean? <laughs> because you're but that's how we've existed. And and being really specific as black men, that's how we have thrived in life. And we wonder why our relationships are fucked up. We wonder why our legacy is not what it is. We wonder why we're we stumbling in. Right. And and, and we, we just like, I, well, I'm not even eating like that no more. But like you said, your the level in which we're functioning on is so dysfunctional that it is now physically causing us harm. Right. And our relationships right. with people and now and black people in general. I'm I'm listening to what you're saying and it makes so much sense because I was a person I never wanted to claim depression because that's I'm strong as shit. I don't I'm from Baltimore. We don't uh-huh. get depressed. Fuck is that? Where the fuck that get you? Right. <laughs> that's y'all whores. That's not us. Uh-huh. And I and I had to even getting through a pandemic all on my own, like by myself, living alone, just me. I I realized in the last it took my grandmother passing away. One of the strongest people. I've never seen my grandmother cut a tear before. Not mm-hmm. even cutting onions. Never saw her cut a tear. And I had to realize her strength was her detriment. She mm-hmm. died from Alzheimer's. Yeah, Alzheimer's is worse. eating you away from the inside out. And metaphorically, the way she lived her life is how she died, how she left his life. Like, just not being attached to anything. And I'm in a space where I get what you're saying. And for the last like couple months, I have allowed myself to feel bad. Like, mm. that idea of having to break my own heart in order to heal from it is yeah. something that I did not, I would have never done in my 20s. Never thought of that I would have had to do in my 30s. You right. know, it's just that. So my, I guess my question to you is, how do you think we can heal? Like, because that whole thing of get up and get it moving, it gets harder and harder to do that every time. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a, a few things. Um, one, recognizing that sensitivity is strength, not weakness. Because I've always been a crybaby, right? I, a couple years ago, I had an uh, acupuncturist tell me that part of the reason that I get so fucked up this time of year is because the veil between the living world and the spirit world is so thin, and I'm already pretty well connected to it that that shit fucks with me, right? Mm. And it makes sense. Yeah. So just being conscious of who you are. Like, one thing I had to recognize is that I feel other people's shit. So when people are sad, I get sad too. Like, if somebody comes into me, I know how they're feeling. Like, mm-hmm. I may not be able to articulate it specifically, but I know. And, like, ain't no lying to me about it, right? Um, part of my purpose in life to be a bit available to people. Um, but so, sensitivity is strength, not weakness. Um, fucking tears are great. Like, I, mm-hmm. if I go too long without crying, I wonder what's wrong. Like, I'm fucking, it's like me being constipated. I need to do it right. 
at least once a quarter. Oh my god! I I really wish I I I, I'm trying to tap into that myself because that's not something I think I did too well as a Baltimorean keeping that shit inside. Yeah, fuck that. Let that shit out. Let it fucking out. Um, man, ain't nothing like a good crime. So I'm gonna tell y'all a secret. Hopefully, I was about to say hopefully not too many people listening, but fuck it. I want everybody on the planet to be listening to this right now. Um, and if you are, you, you're getting some A plus quality shit. Mm-hmm. The Folgers commercial where the white dude comes home from college and the little sister is like, You're my gift, makes me fucking cry every time I see it. Mm-hmm. I've got found it on YouTube to test the fucking theory. Every fucking time. Like, if I don't dry, get an actual tear, my shit gets moist and fucking misty and warm and shit. Every fucking time. So there's something about, like, this love, particularly expressions of platonic love that fucking right. get at me. Like, that shit pulls at me. Um, I, try but, like, to, I try to tap into that when I see, when I see somebody doing something for somebody yeah. that is... Is a remarkable type of thing where they don't have to be doing it. Right. They're doing something like taking care of somebody with special needs, or yeah. give somebody something just because. Or I and I try to tap in. Like I'm, I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna just watch all yeah. of that at one time yeah. and, and let the day. feelings come. Don't fucking push nothing down. Let it out. Because I believe that while it's the Folger commercial that gets me, I'm crying for something else. Right, yeah. I'm mourning something. I'm grieving something, and mm. I don't believe that I always have to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and so, and when I say like I was on the plantation weeping or whatever I do, um, I'll say I don't know what what it's about, and really, it's about me not being conscious of it, and that's yeah. ultimately inconsequential. I recognize that there was a need for me to move in this way emotionally. I fucking go with it. You know right, what I mean? Right. Right. Um, and and I am so lucky that I have family, like wife and children, that I could can really talk to, like about mm-hmm. anything. Uh, like me and my youngest have some of the most fascinating conversations because she's sixteen. And obviously, she knows every fucking thing, except she doesn't. If you're listening, Daya. You it's, nice it's nice to let them think they do, though. We oh, I mean, like, I, so she's hella smart. She's freaking brilliant. Uh, both of them are. Mm. And, like, I let her go for a while until it just gets too far. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. This is too much. Here's where you should look at the other side of that. Calm your little heavy ass down. But... Unexpectedly, like I never would have imagined that some of my favorite people to talk to would be my children. Mm -hmm. When I say talk to, I mean like have the real, like the the consequential, the stuff that the stuff that matters, like the the, the politics and the religion and 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 the the societal stuff. Like we Mm -hmm. do, we talk about it, Um, and and that actually gives me hope that maybe they're talking like this with their friends and there are some thoughtful young folk. Because looking at it on the surface, 
folk don't seem so tough. And 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 it can start to feel hopeless, but I guess to answer the question more directly, the people part, the conversation part, recognizing who fills your bucket. One of the things that I took with me from a retailing job was story about the dipper in the bucket. You know this story? No. All right, so some old white man made millions of dollars going around telling oh also also I stuff tell stories on stage. So you know y'all can feel free to book me. Because <laughs> I do that too. I forgot to mention that. But this this old white dude is making millions going around telling the dipper in the bucket story. I mean his premise is really simple but beautiful too. Like I didn't know. So the idea is that you get up in the morning and theoretically your bucket is full. You're leaving the house with a full bucket. Feeling, looking fly, feeling cute. And you get on the elevator and somebody is just rude for no reason. You spill a little bit out your bucket. Mm. Then you go to Starbucks and somebody jumps in line. Spill a little bit out your bucket. And then you're in traffic. And your bucket is half empty by the time you get to work. But then that person you think is cute tells you you're cute. So they put a little bit of water back in your bucket. And then your manager told you you did a good job on a, an assignment. So that puts a little bit back in your bucket. Um, and the hope is that you'll have your bucket filled as much as you need it. And at the very least, you're breaking even. Um, but the more important part of it to me, and I don't even remember if you do or not, but the idea that we have opportunities to fill other folks' bucket. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you know somebody is feeling insecure and you tell them they look cute, you just add it to their bucket. Um, and I believe that if I add to enough buckets, Maybe mine will end up full. That's sort of that's a space that I don't think many of us. I know, I know, we know better. So that's a concept that I think we all should know. But I think we are. I I see so many people choosing not to see it. Right. I see a lot of people who take it energy and 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 and. Catching what you're pouring out, but they don't think to pull back in. And, and I right. think a part of it is, I, I need, I need this. And then when I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna give, and then your mind don't get back around to it. Right. So you left somebody right. in a space that you didn't meet them on, and it's just that's the part for me that I think as a collective. I, and I've never been any other race. I, I have other races in my family. So I'm not opposed to it, but I just think for black people, we need to get that together. Yeah. Because yeah. we're dying off in a space of time where many of us didn't have to. We lost people that we didn't have to in this last year. And how right? Like I feel incredibly fortunate that the people I know are at the very least willing to suffer my fuckery and have these conversations with me. Mm. Um, 
I don't think enough of these conversations, just, just the conversation itself, like not even talking about the action of filling buckets intentionally, but just mm-hmm. talking about the fact that this bucket shit is real. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe if you think about it, if you talk about it, you start thinking about those places where your bucket was depleted. And now guess what? You get to control how you navigate life. So if you on 36th Street, your bucket's going to be emptied every time. You can fucking not go down 36th Street. You can yeah. fucking avoid 36th Street and save some water in your fucking bucket. Um, but but you don't realize that if you're not talking about it. Like, if you have a conversation about how fucked up 36th Street is, somebody might say, yeah, nigga, I know. That's why I started taking 35th. Right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that can only happen from conversation. If you only know, if 36th Street is all you know, you 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 can't take 35th until somebody tells you. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, part of... I think the part that I keep getting stuck on is uh, we keep hearing now in part of conversation, I only want people with good vibes around me. I don't want to be around nobody that's not feeding me and fueling me, which I get, but we don't realize how we're taking from those people. Right. And then those people become the person that doesn't have a good vibe that we want to be around. Right. We don't see that we are the culprit. We just see all these empty people around us. Like, oh, I, don't, I got, I got to move my territory, and we don't understand the pattern that then exists because I move somewhere else, and I find people around me like that, and I move somewhere else, and we don't realize the contribution that we have right. to the pleading. Whatever, like, yeah. Right. There's this silly uh, vampire sitcom that I've been watching. Um, they have like the regular vampires, but then they also have what they call an energy vampire, who is this vanilla-ass white dude who pours people to death and feeds off the energy that he's taken from them by boring them. I'm like, this is genius. Why is this only existing now? Because energy vampires so much more fucking real than uh, you know right. interview with the vampire, the fucking Tom mm-hmm. Cruise or whatever, the, the Brad Pitt one. Like, geez, this is so real. Like, I know so many of these people who just latch on in an effort to get all they can. And I can't remember who I was talking to, but somehow holding babies came up. And the fact that babies, like you feel good after holding babies. And the point I was talking to was like, yeah, because babies have that good energy. They haven't been jaded by the world yet. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes so much fucking sense. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody wants to hold the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if we look at the other side of that, I question people who can't get babies to stop crying. Mm. I feel like that says something about you. <laughs> now we're going to be looking at people who can't keep babies quiet. Now, now I'm glad to be aware of them. Well, what does that say about you? Like, you? It's like, this baby just legitimately don't fuck with you. What does that say about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dogs yeah. too. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. I get like if you're scared of dogs, that's one thing. But if you're not scared of them and just don't like them, I can't trust you. Something ain't right. <laughs> I could have just had a bad experience. You never know. Yeah. You never know. But like, if you just don't like them, because I've heard like a couple it. people that say, "No, I just don't like them," and I'm just like, "Oh, okay." Like, you mean not the own? Because I get not everybody want to own them, right? That's yeah. fine. That's me. I just don't want to clean nobody's shit up. That's just that's me. I respect the shit out of that. But if you tell me you're mad at it, dog, I'm I'm wondering what's going on if that dog ain't bothering you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Dogs and babies. Dogs and babies. Cats, different conversation. Can't fucking trust cats. But I don't need you. <laughs> and I ain't calling it nothing a pet that don't need me. <laughs> but I, I definitely I want to create a space. We were we were actually in a space like this uh, at one point. And I wanted, I've been trying to recreate that space uh, because it did a lot for me. It introduced me to people who I see in passing but didn't really have a, a mental or personal connection to uh and you were one of those people that was there that day and i learned things about each of you that i i would not have known just being yeah. on the opposite side of a room at a poetry event or something with you uh but i've been trying to recreate that in my own spaces uh because it's something i think as a black man i need i can't right. keep going through life you know, thinking that, you know, my my strength alone is going to get me through or uh, the 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 idea of what tough and strong is is going to get me through. Uh, and it's, it's time for us to to improve on that model and really, really treat ourselves better. That's why we see people living longer now, because people have stopped allowing certain things to get to them. And I just want to be in that space as soon as I can. I ain't going to rush it. But I just want to be in that space as soon as I can. So I'm not, you know, regurgitating the same things, you know, generation after generation. I want to give that. And as somebody who stands in front of people, specifically students, I don't want to be that person right. that, that, that brings that energy to them when, when I could be giving them something way more beneficial. Right. But as we close out today's interview, I want to ask you, um, one, uh, what advice would you give to your 17-year-old self? And what question would you ask to your 100-year-old self? Advice to my 17-year-old self? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the age where the veil begins to be lifted. You can't yeah. bullshit. You can't yeah. bullshit them as much. And they don't have the experience, but they do know that they have the knowledge. This lacking the experience i think i would try to convince myself that i'm okay Mm. that i um deserve friends Mm. that i am loved Mm. shit i would probably say that to my 45 year old self if I'm being completely honest, this shit mm-hmm. is like I love how people try to act like they can figure it out or they haven't figured it out. I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. If you're not that always next home, they go teach them a hard lesson. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um my hundred year old self, I would ask him if I did okay. That's all I'm working for. Okay. Like, did I do okay by people? Mm. Did I do okay by myself? 
and this is this is an exercise that I give to my students and I, I've learned to give to myself as well. But it tells you a lot about where you are. Just what you basically just said is a question I'll ask to my 45-year-old son. Right. Uh, it gives us a good ideal, balance-wise, where I'm at in the moment. Because the advice that you will give and the questions that you ask tell you a lot about where you are and right. where you're coming from and, and even where you're going. Even. Um, it gives you a good insight. And I try to periodically ask myself these questions so I'll get a good sense, especially in the hard times, where am I right now based off of what advice I'm giving to someone, right. um, especially to myself. What advice would I give to myself? Will definitely determine what I'm feeling in this moment. Absolutely. Um, and it's this confirmation uh, of, of your current feelings, just to say it plainly. Uh, but that's that's a good that's a good place to be because it just sounds like you're in a real um introspective moment in your in your life right now. Where you're summing up things and maybe getting rid of things that you don't need and and holding on to those things that you found valuable. And I the find 40s, that a lot of people do that thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, the 40s, I'm trying to tell you, that's, that's a good place to be. Like, obviously not perfect, but like uh -huh. you, you really start to recognize what you what you will and won't deal with. I tell people that, that, that two or three years before you get to an age bracket is a good indication of what you're going to be feeling for those. 10 yeah. years or so. That's how I was in my 20s. I, I kind of understood what was about to happen. I just didn't believe it. Right. right. Now in my 30s, I believe it. And I see I see the 40-year-old man that I'm about to become. And I don't think a lot of people go like it. Because they got <laughs> used to, you know how people get used to abusing uh -huh. boundaries. And right. I think a lot of people are going to be pissed off. Because right. I've already started setting hard boundaries that they already don't like. So I can just about imagine. I'm going to be that on The walkaway game is strong. The walkaway mm. game is strong. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm learning. I think 40 will give me the walkaway game. I'm learning to just disappear. Uh -uh. Yeah. Just, I thought he was just, nope, he left. So I, I got, I'm getting that kind of good. But now I got to, I have to learn to say no with authority. And then the walk again way game, I think, will be much stronger and more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it, I think will be a forever work in progress because it's such a nuanced thing. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you say no and, and leave room to revisit the conversation. Sometimes it's no and never fucking talk to me again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so Yeah. But we just we don't wanna I don't I think we have an issue with uh finishing, like completion. Yeah. So we kind of hold on. We hold on to past relationships by keeping their number or instead yeah. of just cutting ties. If they were supposed to be in your life, it's going to happen. It's yeah. not going to be anything that you've done or you've held on to or you didn't finish. But yeah. I'm learning how to have a, a good finishing to stuff yeah. and not staying too long for the party. Right. <laughs> Where can we find you at? Tell us where we can find you at on social media and give us a little bit of information or the information on this new uh, space that is right on Charles Street, formerly Typist in Fashion. Yes. So you can find me on social media. It's, it's all Instagram right now for mm -hmm. 
the new space, it is bmore.mercantile. Mm-hmm. At bmore.mercantile or Baltimore Mercantile. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's at 2114 Charles Street, the collaboration between my brand, K1B Mercantile, and Tight Fist and Fashion, among others. You can mm-hmm. find the KYV, KYV Mercantile page at kyv.mercantile. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal page, which I think has a lot of public speaking pictures up there. I don't know if the one you, you, you're doing is mm-hmm. D underscore E underscore Waddell. Photography page is at Damnable Blackness. And I just started. We're going to get you one of them links where everything is together. Yeah, link tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Link. Yeah, because I got one more. I just started my style page called Tuesday Fly. I've not really started posting on posting on there yet, but that's coming too. Okay. So I, I thank you for taking a moment out of your time. I know you're getting ready for your grand opening, uh, and I really tomorrow at ten a.m. ten a.m. And what's the yeah. address again? Twenty one fourteen Charles Street. Okay. I'm going to stop by there. I'm going to stop by there. Uh, so good. I can't wait to see it. Uh, anything I can do to continue to help you push your mission and your work, don't hesitate to reach out whenever you want to come on. Just holler at me. And I appreciate you. And I'm definitely going to stop by tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you. So this has been another edition of the Artist Exchange Radio Show. The month of, these, the, the month of November is going to be packed with uh, individual artists. Uh, and we're going to specifically focus on our artists in this Baltimore DMV community. Um, and we're going to spotlight a number of entrepreneurs and community leaders that are doing their thing. We have a number of events with the Artist Exchange coming up, starting with uh, Sunday, we have the RT number two. Um, actually, I'm the featured artist for this one, and we have our herbalist, Miss Jane Nicole. She'll be sampling, and we'll be doing some tastings of her teas as well. Um, and you can stop by. That's 1734 uh, Maryland Avenue. Uh, sponsors, uh, Style Lounge Boutique, which is also at 1734 Maryland Avenue. Love for Moms. And we'll have IMC Podcast doing live interviews the day of. Um, and then the 9th of November, our first event for November, we'll be hosting our first net artist social networking group, um, our first event to kind of launch that. Uh, businesses are asked to come by. We'll help you do a sample of your table. You set that up. Um, and we want everybody to just network. Network in a different way. Not to get, but to give. And just create that balance. Because if, if as long as you're giving, you'll always receive. You'll always fill that cup up and it'll be coming back to you. Uh, so we have a number of events. If you go to our website, uh, theartistexchange.com, uh, you'll be able to get a bunch of those events that we have coming up. Uh, go to our social media page. We're always promoting it there. And don't forget, if you want to show, come on over to Be Exposed Radio. BeExposedRadio.com. Peace out, people. It's been great. Enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Wear your mask. And sometimes sit your ass down. Sit your Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming through. Thank you.